We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me wanna. You know, I just do what, I, do what the team needs me to do. I know it probably sounds cliche or like that sounds like a, like what a lot of people say, but like I'm just thankful to even y'all even thought about drafting me. You know what I mean? It's just like you know, I want the info to see that I'm not just a pass rusher. Now I'm an overall linebacker. I'm an overall linebacker in general uh, that I can set the edge as well. I can pass rush as well. I can drop in coverage as well. So it's like I'm not a one-trick pony. I can do multiple things at a position that is real limited in the NFL. Everybody to another edition of the Rockpile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That is my producer, Chris Krueger, and that was Josh Allen, linebacker out of Kentucky, from his interview with Jack Collinsworth of Pro Football Focus. Woo! Folks, do we have a show for you tonight? We're packed, it's bloated to the gills, we've got draft coverage, we've got regional conversation, we've got Vegas talk. But first... Before we get into that, two weeks from now, Chris, two weeks from now, two weeks from Saturday, we are going to be one of the panelists for the 2019 Buffalo Sports Potathon. Okay, Saturday, April 6th at 3 p.m., Rusty Buffalo and Center Road in West Seneca, New York. It's being brought to you by Trainwreck Sports and 2126shirts.com. There's a whole slew of different, uh, just, just, People involved with this project. And it's incredible because all of the money raised goes to help BB&G charities. Imagine Boy Scouts, but for all genders and for kids from the city who, to give them leadership training, just outdoor experiences that they, opportunities to go camping and see parts of the world that they may not otherwise get to see. It's a great cause, and it's going to be a great time because it's going to be panelists like us. It's hosted by WGR 550's Nate Geary and Channel 4's Jenna Harner. We're talking all things Buffalo sports. The theme of the day, okay, it's at the bar. It's a $20 cover, gets you all you can drink all afternoon and pizza. That alone is a value, Chris. 
Where's the pizza from? Do we know? No idea yet, but I, as soon as Better I Better not be out. Little Caesars. Oh, my God. But If it is, then we know Bob Gutierrez is coming. We're talking all things Buffalo sports. Hockey, football, men's basketball, men's fo- college football. Everything. There's going to be a slew of other guests, and at the same time, the theme of the day is throwback Buffalo Bills. You remember the old goat head uniforms? Yeah. Throwback Buffalo Bills. So come down to the bar, hang out with Chris and I. We'll shoot, we'll be there shooting video. We'll be there drinking beers. It's going to be a great time. I'd like to see some of you guys show up and support everything. All right. It, again, Zach the Maniac from Trainwreck Sports is going to be arm wrestling people. I mean, I don't know if you've seen him, but the guy looks like Woody from Toy Story with curly ass hair. I mean, it's going to be great. I'm so <laughs> mad that he's not cutting it. Because he, he put out that tweet that we wouldn't get Antonio Brown, and we almost did. Oh, it was going to be a great day. Should, we should at least cut his hair short. <laughs> Shout out to Zach the Maniac. Guys, Woo! I mean, it's, it's going to be a day of just drinking and fun and sports talk. And speaking of which, drinking and fun. Chris, St. Patty's Day weekend. We just survived it. Or at least I did. I don't know how you made out. Well, uh, actually, I kind of do. Yeah, you kind of do. I'll get... I'll get my wallet in the mail tomorrow. Yeah, Chris, why don't you tell the listeners how you lost your wallet? I don't I don't remember losing it and I don't need I don't know why I need to take out my wallet in an Uber, but But you did. Saturday night I, apparently I just took my wallet out in an Uber and left it in an Uber with a 10 a.m. flight Sunday morning. So <laughs> there was no chance of me uh I even called the Uber driver at 5:30 in the morning. She answered, and she was not happy. <laughs> I, I but can't imagine. I wanted my wallet so I could get on a goddamn airplane Chris, and come back here. Chris, I can't imagine somebody being woken up by you of all people at five thirty in the morning would wouldn't be a little irritated. Hey, most women would enjoy being woken up by me at five thirty. Shit, absolutely not, folks. My wife ran into Chris at the Atlanta yeah, that's airport. Right. We, he we, looked like seven. He looked like seven pounds of shit in a five pound sack with a tie on. Yeah, always fly with a tie. <laughs> what an idiot. Who flies with a tie? That's I nonsense. do. Well, when I got to TSA, the woman was like, now you look like somebody that doesn't lose their license. Uh, <laughs> you should have seen me last night. Also wearing a tie the night before at a concert, getting drunk, and then I just lose my, I leave my wallet in an Uber. Awesome St. Paddy's Day weekend, Chris. Round of applause. Why don't you tell the people what was in your wallet? Because this is the thing that struck me as just, Apparently it's uh apparently I'm the only one that keeps their social security card in their wallet. Why? Why is your social security card in your fucking wallet? I've always kept it there for as long as I can remember. Mine is in a fireproof lockbox because when push comes to shove, that and a photo ID are literally the only two things I have to prove who I am. And yet you just lose yours in Ubers because it's in your fucking wallet. Well, I don't generally lose my wallet to begin with. <laughs> Oh, my God. You, they shouldn't have let you on the... If you had told them at TSA that you lost your Social Security card at the same time as your wallet, I bet you they wouldn't have let you on the flight. Just no. because you're... It's so like, well, if he's dumb enough to it's, do that. All, little, all you got to do is fill out a couple of forms. You get right through TSA. No problem. Jesus Christ. Folks, my St. Paddy's Day was uh, interesting. And it kind of... It was a very Buffalo St. Paddy's Day weekend. My wife was out of town. That's how she ran into Chris at the airport and got to tell me all about his wild adventures. Fucking Mr. Toad's Wild Ride over here. I decided to go out with a few of my friends who had babysitters for their children, 
whose other their significant others were out of town. And we all decided we were going to try to party like it was 1999. We were going to dial it back to our early 20s and try to recreate the old, hey, going out for the old ward parade downtown, not downtown, but South Buffalo Irish Day Festival. I'll tell you right now, you're not going to rekindle that. Oh, Jesus Christ, no. It was a <laughs> terrible idea to fucking try. I feel old, Chris. I learned, I learned Saturday that not only am I old, but also that people here in the city of Buffalo are extremely tolerant. Here's what I mean by that. The best, the story of the weekend that I can tell you guys. My friend's fiance is, her family is one of the original South Buffalo families. So there's like 19 cousins and aunts and uncles and people who live in South Buffalo who are all part of this. And when you picture a parade, this isn't downtown like in a city atmosphere. This is through neighborhoods where people live. So it's block party from one street to the next street to the next street. Everybody's drinking out in their front yards with all of the people that they already live around, plus some of their friends thrown into the mix. We are at her uncle's house. The bathroom line is out the door, but there's like an open door policy on this day here in Buffalo. So I have to piss and I don't want to do it in someone's yard because even though I'm probably a, I'm probably a 12 pack deep, Shots of whiskey. I've got a cigar that I don't even know who gave me, but I'm just walking around with it. Their neighbor is nice enough to let me use their bathroom. So I go into their house and I'm in there and the toilet tank, the toilet's running. You know, obviously the, the, the closing mechanism behind the thing isn't working properly. Well, I'm a tinkerer and especially when I'm half in the bag, I can't just leave that because A, I don't want to get blamed for it. And B, it's going to cost this woman thousands of dollars in her water bill if it just runs for the next 14 hours while she's outside getting drunk in the front yard. Yeah, none of that is your is your problem. But I make it my problem, Chris, because I don't know how to walk away. So I roll up my sleeves. They let me walk into their house with a cigar. First of all, I'm a stranger. You don't even know me. And now I'm in your house with a cigar, and I have the tank, I have the back of your toilet open. I've literally shut off the water and pulled the guts out of your toilet and I'm in here doing light plumbing work. And some guy walks by the door. Guy walks by the door and just kind of pokes his head in and goes, hey, what's going on in there? I look at him and I start explaining, ah, you know, hey, just I'm, I'm trying to fix this. The toilet's running and the pl-. And he just puts his hand up and goes, eh, you know, I, hey, if you need anything, just holler. And he walks away. And I go, it's fucking weird. So I'm literally using bobby pins and I'm bending them to extend the chain to make sure that it closes properly. And then I get all the guts put back in the toilet and it works. I feel like a fucking hero. I walk outside and then the woman who let me use her bathroom introduces me to her husband. Who is the guy who walked by the bathroom? Picture this. There was a stranger that you just saw ripping shots on your porch, drunk in your house, and you walk by and see him just taking your toilet apart and you don't stop to ask any questions. You just trust that he has your best interest in mind. That right there is as South Buffalo as it gets, folks. That yeah. is it. That and also not locking the door <laughs> like a normal person. But yeah, it's crazy that I leave my social security card in my wallet. But what's not crazy is you not locking the door <laughs> to the bathroom. Would you have locked it if you were taking a deuce? Nah, probably not. (laughs) Folks, but this is an interesting jumping off point for the rest of the discussion I want to have here with you guys in the early portion of the show. Chris, let's just jump into the Bills News Update. 
how newsworthy this is, but here's what I'll say. Slights against Buffalo is a city and a football team. I mean, last week in the aftermath of the Antonio Brown situation, there was this idea being floated around by some of the national pundits that now I want you all to prepare yourself for this because you might not have ever heard it before. People don't think the city of Buffalo is all that great. Well, guess what? Despite this being, you know, <laughs> I know this is groundbreaking to some of you out there. It got such a massive reaction from people that during the press conferences to announce our recent free agent signings, our GM felt it necessary to take it upon himself to make this proclamation. That, um, I'm trying to keep my words. That pissed me off, to be candid, because it was an ignorant comment or whatever. And I don't, you know, I'm not on social media, but, um, if you live in Buffalo or you know anything about Buffalo, I mean, don't speak about Buffalo if you don't know what this city and what this fan base is like. I mean, it it really pissed me off, and uh, because it's not true. And when you talk to players, and it was not, how many guys flowed through here today? Eight, nine, whatever. Uh, and we could have had more. We didn't have that narrative. It was total. Started with a bad rumor on the whole Antonio Brown thing, people looking for reasons, um, and they didn't have all the facts. And, um, to, again, people that have been here, I can't tell you how many players commented, this is amazing, this is awesome, what a facility, what a place, uh, what a culture, all that stuff that we have going here. And, you know, this city is, you know, we love it. And all I'm going to say is uh, anybody that says that doesn't know Buffalo and really is just speaking uh, out of ignorance. That was Brandon Bean from his free agency press conference last week. BuffaloBills.com. Chris, I mean, since then, there's been this massive, it triggered an avalanche of outpouring on social media and in the news, reacting to everyone and anyone who made a single comment even slightly derogatory about our team, about our city, about not liking blue cheese. I mean, Chris, I don't even know what to think about this. Chris... What is your opinion, Chris? I liked it. I mean, I would have ripped a couple of cords of friendship off to that quote <laughs> by Brandon Bean. I, you know, if I would agree, you're on the opposite end of this, but I would more agree with you if this was six years ago, when downtown doesn't look like the way it does now. Well, follow me here, Chris. So you think our GM speaking out the way that he did about this is a positive thing, right? Yeah. Okay. I always like it when people defend Buffalo. So that's what you like about it. You yeah. think that it's it's a good thing when people defend Buffalo. He probably what? thought this place sucked, too, before he got here. And then he saw how awesome it was. And why don't you tell the listeners about an argument you had with a woman in Atlanta this weekend? Oh, yeah. When I was at Red Door Tavern in Buckhead. First of all, fuck that place. Running. <laughs> God, I, I like... Perfect reminder of why I don't live in Atlanta. And if you live in Atlanta... I feel for you. That place fucking sucks. But yeah, she—I don't think she had ever been to uh, to Buffalo. And I was telling her how great Buffalo is versus Atlanta. And she went on some like, she got on like some food tangent. And I was like, yeah, uh, we brought gave him the world chicken wings. What do, what is Atlanta known for? Nothing, nothing. You've never been to Buffalo. You don't know. Go visit it sometime. It's amazing. Better than this shithole city. So let me ask you a question. You got so riled up about the concept that somebody didn't like Buffalo 
that you had an out and out argument with them in a bar when yeah. you could have been drinking and just doing literally anything else. I'm drinking and arguing with people. It's what I like to do, oh, oh. and especially in Atlanta. Okay, now. I don't want to say that I'm about to make a counterpoint here, but I think the question has to be asked. Who gives a fuck? Okay? With an exclamation point on it. Don't get me wrong. I am not a fan of being disrespected, especially if it's unwarranted. But I'm also not a fan of looking weak, Chris. Follow me here for a second. Today, 2019... I am a 219-pound guy with a 36-inch waist. Got a, get a fair amount of muscle on me. And titties. <laughs> well, those are left over from when I was 19. I was 348 pounds as a kid with a shitty afro and teeth that looked like I had brushed them with firecrackers. You, okay? you look like The Rock from that movie. Exactly. That's exact. It's a dead ringer, folks. You look at that Central Intelligence movie with The Rock. I am a dead ringer for The Rock at the beginning of the movie, okay? And I took my fair share of criticism. And over the years, I lost weight, and I kind of put myself together, although I didn't fix my teeth because, come on, come on, we we can only go so far with this. But that criticism didn't always stop. But here's the thing, and I know how this is going to come off, so before any of you just turn the podcast off, skip ahead or just... Just shoot the bird at me just (laughs) into the ether thinking about how pissed off you are about this. Hear me out. Why are we so thin-skinned about this? Why do we give a shit what other people think about us? Because that's when I felt better about myself. It wasn't when I, I, I realized I was more fit, when I realized that I all of a sudden I was more attractive to women. No, none of that mattered. You've literally never been attractive to women. (laughs) I just turned it off like a light switch. So why can't the city of Buffalo? I mean, look at this. First of all, what if people did love Buffalo? Who wants more people here? If people figured out that this place was wildly underrated, like, think about it. Multiple athletes over the years, Chris. Rob Ray, Marty Buran. Those guys could have literally gone anywhere in the country after they retired. They didn't have to come back to Buffalo, but they stayed anyway. Rob Ray literally owned a duplex at the end of my old street, and he would mow the lawn himself, and I'd go, I'd stop and talk to him. That, that, that's real talk. He could be anywhere doing that. He decided to do it here, okay? Having more people here who appreciated the city for what it is would just mean longer waits. I mean, Chris, it's 45 minutes to get a table at Bar Bill already. Can you imagine adding another 100,000 people to the population? Well, I think it, dep- it depends on what your career choice is. <laughs> I mean, but Buffalo's mostly made up of, I would say, manufacturing and nursing are the top two uh, job fields in Buffalo. Yeah, it, it, but, but this underscores my point. A lot of the criticism that gets leveled on Buffalo isn't exactly unwarranted. I mean, it's not a mistake that we ended up fourth on the Forbes list for most vulnerable sports cities in the country based on population size and average household income. Or that we just have one Fortune 500 company headquartered within, well, what is it? I think it's, I think it's, you have to go 100 miles, 100 mile radius, one Fortune 500 company. 
Or that according to BobVila.com, I understand, not the, it's not a website most of you frequent. I don't even know that that was a website. Buffalo is the 23rd worst weather city in the country. As noted by the fact that not only are our winters notoriously unpredictable, but the, we average 311 partially cloudy to cloudy days a year. That's more than Seattle. And Seattle is a city literally known for having rain. Chris, I have a friend, my buddy Neil, New York, but his career is in fishery and wildlife management, and it's taken him everywhere across the country. He's lived in nature preserves in Wyoming. He worked on a remote Alaskan island at a salmon hatchery that we called Dude Island because there is no femininity within 100 miles, and your groceries have to get flown in on a monthly basis. And now he lives 10 miles outside of Pensacola, in a place that he refers to as Gross Florida. All of Florida is gross. <laughs> he literally said they don't have seasons, just varying degrees of sweatiness. 100% true. Okay? And yet when he comes home to visit his family for Christmas, he swears he will never come back to Buffalo. We have an analogy for those of you out there who are Game of Thrones fans. You might understand this. Picture Westeros. The, 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 this world where the show takes place and all the extravagant cities that it has, you know, High Garden, Marine, King's Landing. If the United States were Westeros, then we are positive that Western New York would be the Iron Islands. It has no flesh. It's flat out inhospitable. And there's a lot of people here who know about struggle. And yet to the people who call it home, there is nowhere they'd rather be. Okay? And in that, Chris, there's a toughness that it takes to live here that I, f I celebrate. I would never live anywhere else. Thank you. And you did have to live somewhere else. Yeah, I've lived in Atlanta and here literally half my life in each spot. 17 years Atlanta, 17 years total in Buffalo. Guys, I mean, at the end of the day, this criticism about our city, okay? Let's run it. I'm going to run it down for you. Our restaurants and hotels are never going to be up to the ritzy... St I mean, think about it. Tom Brady criticized our hotels. Oh, you and your supermodel wife didn't find our... We are never going to be up to their standard. Well, I think they stayed at the Adams Mark. <laughs> our population is never going to be viewed as, quote-unquote, unlightened. Or as, quote-unquote, free-spirited as the Seattles and San Francisco's and L.A.'s of the world. And our climate is never going... No one's ever going to like it. 90% of the population will hate the weather here in Buffalo. Four months out of the year, the air itself will hurt you. And you'll probably move two to three times your own body weight in snow. Not just as a practical matter, but sometimes as a matter of necessity if you spend a whole winter here. You also, uh, in the winter, when it, especially when it gets windy, you also turn your back and start walking backwards so the wind doesn't hit your face. And I'm okay with all of it. Because if you can't accept that, and you can't accept all of the little things that are actually pretty great about this place, then I don't want you here anyway. And that's not my fault, it's your fault. <laughs> that's it. That's the way I look at it. And that's the way I think a lot, a lot more people need to stop being so sensitive about this and just look at it the way I do. It's not my fault that I am the way I am. It's your fault that you don't like it. It's the same way with this city, and I will fucking drink to that. I mean, guys, you want to talk about 
Oh. Oh, oh. yeah, she's wild. <laughs> you want to talk about actual slights? Chris, the Vegas sports books are out. Yep. Vegas sports books have started opening up betting on 2019. Okay? Folks, this is another thing on my agenda that I want to get to. I mean, if you guys want to talk about slights or disrespect, how about this? Something more tangible than anything that may or may not have been said about Buffalo in the national media by some pundit who doesn't know a fucking thing about football, about our city, about what it's actually like to play here. How about Las Vegas? I mean, let's face it. They only care about two things, money and the people whose wallets they're prying it out of. Everything about their decision-making is cold. It's calculated. I mean, Chris, it's fucking surgical. That's what Vegas is. It's a machine. It's a, it's a mint that prints money. And they hate to be wrong. Okay? So with that said, g- get your tissues ready, all you sensitive-ass Bills fans. Because Vegas doesn't think a whole lot about the 2019 Buffalo Bills, even after the week of free agency we just had. Monday, well, actually, no, it, it came out. Uh, midweek, Caesars released their, uh, I think Tuesday night, Caesars released their first betting lines in the 2019 season. The Bills and the AFC as a whole, Chris, they think we're atrocious. Yeah, I don't agree with that. In terms of who's going to win the AFC East this season, the Patriots are obviously the favorite, but the thing that gets me is the the odds here. I mean, it's it blows me away. They are the NFL's most, they're still the NFL's most heavily favored division winners. Chris, I I don't know if you understand how a money line works. Well, I would just ask you this. Does New England have Brady and Belichick? Yes. Then they should be favored to win the division. But let me ask you. Until one or both are gone. And I understand being favored. Do you know how a money line works? Probably not. Okay. So the way the money line works is it's it's assumed that your bet is $100. And then what they do is they illustrate for you what you would win if you were to bet 100 or what you would have to pay if it's negative to win, to, to make that 100 back. Okay? The Patriots are the NFL's most heavily favored division winners at negative 850 on the money line. That means that for you to win $100, Chris, betting on the Patriots to win the AFC East, you have to wager 850 The next closest division winner is the Rams at just negative 350 That's a $500 difference. That's how sure Vegas is that this entire division is still shit compared to that team. The next team behind New England on this list is the Jets at, neg- at uh, plus $650. The Bills at plus 1,000, and the Dolphins at a staggering plus 10,000. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah! (laughs) Chris, that means if you wagered $10 on Miami, and all three other teams in the division got lost in the Rocky Mountains somewhere, Miami takes the crown, and you'd earn $1,000 minus whatever the VIG was. You did ten dollars for the for the for Miami to win the division this year. There would literally have to be three deadly plane crashes. <laughs> Jesus Christ! This is not we are Marshall. All right, that's not happening. That's the only way. But with that said, I mean, think about this for a second. The Patriots have had a ton of turnover this off season. Just to run it down, they've lost their left tackle. They've lost their number one and number two defensive ends. 
They've lost their number two defensive tackle, their number three wide receiver, their number two tight end, and their number one tight end is contemplating retirement. Their corner, their third cornerback, he's gone to another team. They've lost their second right tackle because he was signed by Buffalo. His, their backup right tackle is here in Buffalo, Adrian Waddell. And their kicker is still out there on the free agency market, and they don't even have one. And yet, despite all of those personnel losses, another year of wear and tear for Tom Brady, and the fact that the Buffalo Bills signed all of the free agents that they did and set themselves up so nicely for this draft, <laughs> they still... Vegas couldn't give a fuck less about us. They still think that the Patriots are a $2,000 swing more likely to win games this year than the, more games than the 2019 Buffalo Bills. Yeah, I... I, mean, I that's ex- not disrespect. <laughs> I don't know what it is. I expect New England to win the division. However, I do think the Bills get into the playoffs. I mean, Chris... The, my point here is that if everyone wants to get angry and upset about, well, this 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 sports writer said this about our city, or this athlete said this about our city, or to, these are people who have no clue what the fuck they're talking about. Vegas bookmakers, their entire lives are studying the weather patterns in the city and the players and the transactional history. This is what they do. That's it. I mean... This is all they know. They eat, sleep, live it. And they just really don't give a shit about anything that we did this offseason so far. Shouldn't that, just on merit alone, be more offensive than a bunch of box box score watching nobodies? Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, I know last year, listening to uh, a lot of the national pundits just talk trash about... Josh Allen, and that he was the reason like we weren't any good when our receivers were dropping balls left and right. <laughs> I mean, Chris, there's so much more that we could tangibly bitch about than the national media disrespecting us. Vegas alone has slapped us in the face now. So, I mean, take that for what it's worth. But I guess the thing I have is we haven't even reached the draft. We haven't even reached the draft, and they're already still ready. They're already to crown the Patriots, crown them as division winners, without knowing how they're going to plug all these fucking holes they just opened up. But it doesn't matter, Chris, because that's how we're thought of in a community of people who are whose whole lives are studying sports. So why don't we, as a fan base and a population, get a little bit more thick skinned to the things that matter, and just pay attention to some of the things that do. Like the way people who actually have money on the line. How they think. How they feel. Maybe maybe let's start there. I don't know. I just, I think everyone's got it backwards. And again, I can't underscore enough. All of this is coming ahead of the draft. We, Chris, are, do we or do we not have an opportunity in front of us? Not just for the upgrades we've made. We talked about it ad nauseum last week. How much better? I think it was Greg Thompson of Cover One's podcast. He's on Twitter. He put out a tweet. We got all of the, for the $55 million in dead money that we ate last season. We signed all of our free agents this year, and their cumulative cap hit 
is 54 million. So for all of the perceived improvements that you see with this roster, that is what Brandon Bean ate last year. He took that and he ate it and the team suffered because of it. And now you're seeing what we could have done with that money. So with that said, who's to tell what's going to come with the draft and how much better that's going to make our chances for this? And our chances to prove Vegas wrong, along with all of these other idiots who don't like our city. I mean, Chris, the draft is ultimately one of the biggest components of this, correct? It is for TV ratings. I would mean, I would argue... I would argue how many? What kind of difference is a draft pick going to make as far as wins outside of a quarterback? I mean, ultimately, Chris, the draft is a huge component of. I mean, think about the Colts. The Colts, the Colts team this year was shaped by their draft that they had in the previous year. That's it. Their draft launched them into the playoffs, from bottom feeder to playoff team with just a lot of smart drafting. So. With that, this draft becomes incredibly important. And that's why we bring you guys draft coverage all off-season long because everything here matters. It all plays a role in the success of that next year's team. It's recognizing your warts and looking at where the team is going to get better. The 2019 Rock Power Report draft series comes with the linebacker position. And with us tonight, we have Michael Kist from Bleeding Green Nation. How are you doing, sir? I am doing well. And look, I'm going to tell you I'm right off the bat, I hate this linebacker class. I'm usually not this negative of a person. I just want to qualify this, that it's not a good linebacker class, especially not a good year to have one. So I'm usually not this negative. I'm usually more positive about players and prospects and all that stuff. It might get a little dirty. You might want to fast forward if you, if, if you don't want to hear bad things said about people. I'm rooting for all of them. I hope they prove I hope every single one of them prove me wrong. I'm just telling you, right up front. <laughs> Fantastic. See, that's what we love about you. It's refreshing honesty. You don't pitter-patter <laughs> around about it. You don't beat around the bush. Now, for those of you who don't know who Michael Kist is, if you're new to the show, if you've never heard one of his appearances, he is. you work for Bleeding Green Nation. You do Bleeding Green Nation radio. You've attended Scouting Academy. I mean, you've done a lot in terms of yep. film review and scouting review. I mean, how did you get started with all that? You know, I... I've, Grew up loving the X's and O's of football, and I'm a big uh, flex bone uh, head, so I was glad, to, uh, not happy to see that Gary Johnson from Georgia Tech was retiring and moving on. That, that was sad, but I've always had uh, a big passion for the X's and O's of it and whatnot, and I became a draft Nick. I really want to say the first year I really remember getting into the draft was the Alex Smith-Aaron Rodgers draft, um, and I would take VCR tapes and tape games and then rewatch them. And then I would tape the NFL uh, on ESPN, like all the NFL draft shows, and I would rewatch them and whatnot. I would get really into it. Um, but that was just kind of like my side thing. That was my side hobby and whatnot. And I just watched a ton of football. I really knew the game. I want to learn more about the game. And I heard about the Scouting Academy. And it was right before the baby was born. I was like, this is my last chance with some free time to do something for me. And learn how to appreciate the game more that I love. So I went to the scouting academy, absolutely loved it. And then I got hooked up, you know, through uh, with a podcast. Shout out to John Ledger of the Draft Network for for believing in me. Mark Schofield of Inside the Pylon as well for taking me on. And then it just kind of snowballed from there. Ended up at Bleeding Green Nation Radio uh, after getting after getting noticed. And I, I, now I do it full time. And I'd never planned on that. So I, I think I've, I think I've told you in private that I'm playing with house money. 
And maybe that's why I'm a little bit reckless on the timeline, but uh, that's neither here nor there. But I'm playing with house money, doing what I love, uh, just absolutely loving what I'm doing. And now I get to cover it full time, watch film all day. And uh, it's it's an absolute blast. And I, and I thank the Scouting Academy and the guys that I mentioned for for helping me get there. So now during the off season. I know you, you're heavily involved in scouting. I know last year you were over at the Senior Bowl. You make it out there again this year? I did. Senior Bowl is my favorite. And what's crazy is, like, okay, it's fun watching the practices and the one-on-ones and going to the Exos film room. And, and like, there were a couple of times where I was sitting next to actual scouts and had conversations with them about players or reps that we saw. It's, it's a blast. I love it. Uh, but the, I think one of the craziest parts was we found out that the Wednesday practice was going to get canceled and Tuesday night was the night that everyone just went absolutely crazy out at the bar. Everyone's out until 6 a.m. going to the after-after bar or whatnot. And it's just awesome to meet all the people that you interact with all the time on the timeline, have really good conversations with them, forget 90% of them because you're so blitzed out of your mind. I, mean, I was drinking <laughs> double Red Bull vodkas literally from 8 p.m. to 5 a.m. So <laughs> the next day wasn't so great. But you know what? You get up for it the next day and you do it. And, and it's just a blast. You learn so much. You meet so many, many cool people. So yeah, two years when I've been going there and I, I'm definitely going there again next year. So you've, you're heavily involved in the scouting community. And that's why we love having you on here to pick your brain. Now, as far as over at Bleeding Green Nation, obviously we want you to be able to plug your work. What do you guys have coming up in the following weeks about in terms of draft coverage? Yeah, tons of draft coverage on the Kiston Solak show. Benjamin Solak obviously covers the draft for the Draft Network. His Caleb McGarry feature just got tweeted out by Adam Schefter today. So that, that was a big win uh, for a lot of brands in that regard. Uh, but Ben's great at covering the draft. Uh, obviously, I do a lot of work with it. And we're going to be doing some – I think I've got the football director of Sports Info Solutions, Matt Manichurian, who I met down in Mobile. Uh, great guy, fun guy. Uh, he's going to be coming on to talk about their, their rookie handbook and some analytics behind it. We're going to have some great guests on for it. So we're just doing a ton of stuff. I'm dropping positional rankings on BleedingGreenNation.com. I've got big boards. I'm, I'm doing all types of stuff with the, uh, with the draft. So really, e- even if you're not an Eagles fan – Check out the Kiston Solak show where we do a lot of just general draft stuff and check out bleedinggreennation.com for the draft stuff as well. Fantastic. And what do you tell our listeners what you're drinking tonight? That's going to be a, a, a vodka seven, a delicious vodka seven in a, in a Yeti cup. So it stays nice and nice and cool for me as we go through this process. Got to keep see, that ice cold. See, folks, he's one of us. You don't do this stuff sober. <laughs> I mean, there's no point, right? Yeah, so exactly. Let's, so let's jump right into this. Now, for Bills fans, when you take a look at, I mean, we're talking about the linebacker position. When you take a look at where the Bills currently sit, we're entering the 2019 season, much as you just said, playing with house money, but with some room for improvement overall. 2019 cap allocation stands at $9.35 million. And the starters on the roster, we've got two and a half, depending on what you view Lorenzo Alexander's role as in 2019. You can't leave out that Matt, Mil- Matt Milano's injury. I get it, but he'll be back. I expect him to fulfill his role. So when we break down the current roster, we have Lorenzo Alexander. He's our strong side linebacker. He brings that veteran presence. He's versatile. I mean, he can be used, you know, three-point stance. He's more than comfortable at the line of scrimmage. He's used as a pass rusher. He's also an off-the-ball linebacker who's, you know, he can be your traditional strong side guy. The tread is worn. 
He was exposed for his lack of speed in 2019, both versus the run. I mean, think about that New England game, Chris, where Cordero Patterson burned him for three different first downs with simple just jet sweeps to the outside. He doesn't have that explosiveness anymore. And he can't cover tight ends. He cannot cover tight ends. But in our format, he's going to be asked to as a strong side linebacker. And this is his final season in the NFL. He will 100%, without a doubt, require a replacement in 2020, regardless of what he does this year. Moving on, you've got Matt Milano at weak side linebacker. Like you just said, he's coming back from an injury, but when he's healthy, he's a solid coverage linebacker who is absolutely integral to the nickel package. He's learned his run fits over the last two years, and he's flashed ball skills that if I mean, last year he was a borderline pro bowler until he got hurt. I agree. He's super underrated. Just so you know, I'm a big Matt Milano fan. And see, well, that's it. So when you watch Matt Milano, did you like him pre-draft? I, I liked him. I didn't love him like that. Like, I thought he was much better in the pros than I thought he would be, and I thought I was high on him. I, I thought he well exceeded any expectations that he had coming into the NFL. And as the modern-day NFL linebacker and the fact that, you know, obviously he's going to be your, your will, your run-and-chase guy and all that, but the coverage skills to be able to stay on the field on third down in nickel packages, uh, extremely valuable, very good in that area. And see, that's something I didn't see coming because I thought it was a throwaway pick. I hated it. Right. <laughs> and then Tremaine Edmonds, middle linebacker. I mean, the guy is young. He's 19 years old. He's the youngest player to ever intercept a pass in the NFL. But he's already illustrated from week one to week 17 growth in terms of understanding the nuances of NFL middle linebacking. He's got that elite size and athleticism that you, you can't teach being 6'5 and 255 pounds lean. You can't do it. Yeah. He can get heavier if he wants to or if they ask him to, if he really wants to be a thumper. But he's fluid enough in the lower body that he can easily carry anywhere. Tight ends, running backs, even some wide receivers in space won't get away from this guy. And the upside that he provides is incredible. Now, as someone who follows the draft, what were your thoughts on him going into the draft last year? He, he was still a big-time projection. I mean, remember, he was so young, so we knew that was going to be a thing. Like, he, he wasn't going to make reads for like a, like a four-year senior. I think we all, none of us expected that. But he did show enough mental development throughout the season. You kind of had to watch his games in a, in a linear fashion from the beginning of the season to the end of the season to see what he brought to the table, to see how he improved. The athletic skills are freaking crazy he's the type of guy and i believe i had him in my top 10 he's the type of guy where even if he's not the complete package yet you were totally comfortable saying if my coach if my linebacker coach is worth his salt he should be able to develop him into a pro bowler because the mold of clay is super super sexy (laughs) and that's what we're seeing as fans i remember early on thinking well he's he's his draft scouting report didn't lie He's having some trouble picking up his run fits. He's overrunning things. He's, mm-hmm. you know, maybe not seeing things develop quite as quickly as you'd like for a true Mike linebacker. But by the end of the season, he was locked in. And I think yeah. that it had a lot to do with, you know, down the stretch we had some losses, but our defense played outstanding ball. And he had a lot to do with that. And then you look at the rest of the cast. You've got Dion Lacey, Julian Stanford, and Corey Thompson. I mean, they're a cast of misfits behind these guys, but they are what comprises the rest of our linebacking core. You've got Lacey, who has spent his entire career as a core special teamer. 
I mean, he played almost 70% of the snaps there last season. Julian Stanford. He had a couple years playing for the Jets, which isn't saying much. <laughs> I mean, he played for the Jets. That, <laughs> at that time, yeah. Yeah, at the time when <laughs> the he was there, was that didn't say much. That roster was terrible. Yeah. He's been primarily a special teams player here who has the upside to sometimes back up. I think he played 9% of all defensive snaps for the entire season. And then mm-hmm. Corey Thompson, young special teams player, took a bunch of defensive snaps, about 9%, same as Stanford. All of them are making around a million dollars a year. <laughs> That's it. These are the types of players we're talking about. They weren't drafted. Yeah. They weren't brought in here. None of them ha- – I mean, what they are is they're a mix of athleticism and a little, uh, some ability to play off the ball linebacker in a 4-3 defense. But none of them have any kind of elite traits that might lead to them being anything more than special teamers. So with that, we have when you look at the group, our starters are pretty much set for the 2019 season, depending on what you think of Lorenzo Alexander playing strong side linebacker. In your base package, it's a massive liability to know that your Sam linebacker, he's, he's not quick. He's going to get torched to the sideline. Teams have already exploited that. And he's already announced his retirement. Not to say that he would take anything away from it or that his heart wouldn't be in it, but you're going into it knowing that we have to fix this. So linebacker becomes a priority. And so when you look at the draft philosophy of the Buffalo Bills as they head into 2019, in our last installment, we broke down the defensive backs, the upcoming class, and we agreed that the team has the personnel there at that position that are more than functional. But there's also age and financial implications that might dictate the fact that they might want to make an investment somewhere in the middle rounds of the draft to try to bring in some more candidates at safety. And maybe a cornerback number two if it falls to them appropriately. The same thing is here with the linebacker position. The Bills are currently ranked 17th in linebacker spending in the NFL. And that's only because they continue to list Trent Murphy, who we play as a defensive end, as an outside linebacker. I mean, Mike, is that something common that you see where outside linebackers who, even if they play a different position, they still get listed as linebackers? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's just it's just whatever you're running. You're either an edge defender that gets after the, it gets after the quarterback or you're an edge guy that drops back. In my opinion, if you're an edge guy that drops back all the time, you're just a linebacker. It really, it really doesn't matter the classification you put it under. Okay, so what they do is they throw that at us. Without him on the payroll at linebacker, we're 29th ahead of just the Rams, who have only four players. They only have four linebackers signed. The Falcons and the Raiders, who both had some of the worst linebacking cores of the 2018 season. We are ahead of the curve, and it's not costing us a ton of money to do so. So we got two linebackers on rookie deals. (laughs) Exactly. can't can't beat that. And like I said, Lorenzo Alexander is retiring whether we like it or not. Now, look at some of the Sam linebackers who signed contracts in the offseason in free agency. Preston Smith got $13 million a year in average annual value, which I think is a fucking joke. K.J. Wright got seven, almost $8 million a year. And Michael Kendricks, who might go to jail for a year for fraud. This guy is going to get $4 million a year. It's insane. Can you agree with me that that's insanity spending on the strong side linebacker position? Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't get the Kendricks thing at all. 
I mean, he was a former Eagle, so I, I can tell you, I mean, the one thing he was decent at was blitzing, and that's when he was unblocked, and that's pretty much all you're going to get from him recently in his career. Anybody can be unblocked and get after the quarterback. He's got a decent athletic profile, but he can't cover guys anymore, and he's bad against the run. He just gets washed out. Giving him that kind of money when you think he might actually possibly go to tying up, tying up any kind of money for him. When you could go around the league and, I don't know, trade a seventh for, for one of these guys that you have on the list here. Who's, it? <laughs> who's, who's this guy? Deion Lacey. Give me Deion Lacey. I don't care. Let, let him get a swing. He's going to give you more use than uh, Michael Kendricks is going to give you long term, in my opinion. I mean, that's probably a little bit of a, a little hyperbolic. But at the same time, the money being thrown at the linebacker position is just absolutely insane. And, I mean, from the Eagles' philosophy, if I can, if I can bring them into it for a second. Absolutely. They spend all of their money on the defensive line. That makes the linebacker's job a lot easier. It doesn't seem like they're going to throw a whole lot of money at this third linebacker position because it doesn't matter that much. And even the second linebacker position is a guy who's on his rookie contract, Kamugurje Hill, who's getting paid less than a million dollars this year. So like that third linebacker spot, how much are you really in base? 30% of the time? Maybe. You're in nickel most of the time anyway. And you're gonna, if, you're, if you're paying a linebacker that cannot cover any kind of money, I don't know what you're doing as an NFL GM. I'll put it to you that way. Well, and that's exactly my point. So when you look at this stuff that's going on around the NFL and the way linebackers are being paid, the way the Jets paid C.J. Mosley, I mean, it's yeah. And contracts are Quite so Alexander. inflated. <laughs> well, exactly. These contracts are so inflated that if you don't address this problem in the draft, you're going to be shelling out a significant amount of capital in order to try to fill that hole. Why? Why? On a young defense with some up-and-coming talents that might require extensions here in the next few years, that's going to become problematic. Yeah. When you think about how much work has to be done on the offensive side of the ball for Buffalo. I mean, Trey White is going to need a new, deuce, uh, a new deal soon. <laughs> yeah. In two seasons, Matt Milano, he's an, he's an unrestricted free agent. If he continues to improve on the track that he has – you're going to have to sign that guy and give him significant financial compensation. I mean, that's what the market's yep. dictating. Yep. So with that, you either draft his replacement or you pay the man. And if you yep. pay the man, you have to know that you drafted another linebacker at some point who can come in and be a starter on the cheap. I mean, th that's it. So considering all of this, if it's the right value or player, if they present themselves to us in the draft, the Bills almost have an obligation to at least kick the tires at this linebacker position because it's going to be something that is necessary for you to continue to function the way you have. So when we yeah, get... it, might not, it might not be this year, though. <laughs> as I, as <laughs> well, I mentioned at the top of the show, we'll talk about it, though. <laughs> and that's exactly what I want to open with is for the, the 2019 class makeup, the inside linebacker class, first and foremost, first three, three to four first-round players by everything that I've seen – you know, they, they have uh, Mac Wilson, who I'm very familiar with, uh, uh, White, Bush, Trey Lamar. Are these guys legitimate first-round talents, or are they just products of a weak class? So when I go through my grading system, I trade about nine or, or I grade about nine or ten traits for these players, and then I put in their athletic testing, and I put it through a formula, and it spits out a grade. And then I have different ranges for these for these players as far as first round, second round, so on and so forth. This helps me go, okay, 
Devin Bush and then and, and Devin White. Which one do I like better? Well, I'm not just going to go, well, I feel like I like Bush better. I need to be able to explain it. My grading, my grading needs to be able to explain it as well. It needs to make sense to me why I would have one player over another. This is where numerical grading is helpful for me because it helps me break up those stacks. So when I go through this class and I put in the numbers and I spit everything out, not a single, not a single, and it wasn't the same last year. Because remember, I, I had Tremaine Edmonds, Leighton Van Der Esch, a, a few guys at, at linebacker with first-round grades. This year, zero first-round grades. Now, I will <laughs> qualify. I will qualify this. I only have, this year, 18 first-round grades. And that's not uncommon uh, among scouting circles or NFL teams. A lot of NFL teams don't have over 20 first-round grades, even in, like, decent classes. I think this class is kind of weak up top. There's a lot of value in the second and third rounds. But I only have 18 first-round players. None of them are linebackers. Devin White isn't. I think he's very promising. Uh, neither is Devin Bush, and I really like him. The other two that you mentioned, we can talk about them, but I don't think they're anywhere near first-round talents. If anybody takes them in the first round, I think they're getting absolutely fleeced. So who's your favorite linebacker? Then? So, so you're talking about none of these guys are first-round calibers. Who's the guy you like the most? So I feel like I like Devin White the most. But my grading t- tells me that I like Devin Bush the most. And I'm a big Bush <laughs> fan, so I, I don't want to slander him. But that's what my grading worked out to. I think it's because that Devin White is more of a projection than Devin Bush is. I'm not going to so lie to you. about Devin White, the line. As I say, that, I'm, not, I'm not going to lie to you. That sounds like when I talk about how I like craft beer, and yet it, <laughs> on a Saturday night at about 1030, I'm drinking a Miller Lite, and I'm looking at it going, man, I, I thought I liked that craft beer, but... I'm on my fifth of these. Like, <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And Devin White's going to be that guy. Like, De- or Devin Bush is going to be the guy that you always go back to for your beer. He's going to be your start in beer. And then Devin White's going to be the guy that's like, that could have been a really craft, a really good craft beer. But I, 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 the problem with White is because I don't, I don't have a problem with projecting players high if they're not like the complete package coming out. We talked about Tremaine Edmonds. He was a top 10 player for me. Wasn't 100% ready. I, I, I get it. Uh, White has more experience at the position, but the mental processing aspect, while it did get better throughout the year last year, it's just not on par with somebody that I'm comfortable with taking the first round, which means I have serious concerns about the way his play speed, the way he diagnoses things, the way he's able to attack. And then I also have concerns about his range. And, and it's not because he can't get there. He's plenty fast. Got sideline to sideline range. He overpursues things. He's not a natural tackler in space. He's kind of reckless with it. So that's going to have to be toned down, which is fine. I mean, I'd rather have a, a really aggressive guy that I have to tone down than someone just, who just plays soft. And we'll probably talk about a couple of those guys because, again, this linebacker class is bad. But when I look at Devin Bush, everything is so steady Eddie. And he's got sideline to sideline range. And he can cover and he can cover tight ends. He can cover in space, in zones, short zones when wide receivers come across. He's got the short area burst. I think the only problem with with Bush, uh, Devin Bush, is the fact that he's got shorter arms and can kind of get washed in the run game. But I have zero problem plugging him into a defense and leaving him on the field for three downs. I feel more comfortable with what Devin Bush is right now as a player. And I believe he's a 23rd player on my board. So again, not a first-round grade, but Someone that you're still probably going to select in the first round as you get into into later in the rounds there, and someone's someone's going to take him in the top twenties. There well, might not be a linebacker that's, available. And that's, I guess, uh, that's I guess one of the things that I keep thinking is, as you're telling me that none of these players are, oh, you don't have any first round grades in these linebackers. Considering <laughs> the proliferation of these 
I don't know what you want to call them. I mean, we all saw that Monday night football game where it was, <laughs> I mean, it was the Rams, it was the Chiefs, and it was Star Wars offense. This is light years ahead of anything anybody's doing. And it was two of the, it was flag football. You have to have linebackers who can go out there and cover, but can also play the run, who can also respect dynamic running backs. I guess the question is, just based on need, how many running backs do you project going in the first round, even if they don't deserve to be there? How many running backs? Uh, Jesus Christ, linebackers. Jesus Christ. (laughs) I I saw LB and it ran into RB and it just came out of my mouth. Beer. You have uh, you have you got too many Devin Whites in you right now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I'm going to go with two linebackers in the first. I don't think the league I don't think the league is going to love Mac Wilson from Alabama, and I don't love him either. I think two go. They could possibly go in the top eleven. They're definitely going in the top twenty by the time that the the Steelers come around because they have a need there as well. And I think Devin Bush, if he's still there, would be a fantastic fit there. I don't think they get on the uh, 20, but I think they're the only two, and I think you might see a gap unless a team wants to get uh, real stupid and start reaching on some uh, fantastic athletic profiles, which are out there. They're out there, but they're developmental guys. Well, and so I guess that's where my next question comes is in terms of the inside linebacker position, mm-hmm. in terms of depth, rounds three through six, I know you hate this class as a whole. So are there is there anybody in those middle rounds What does this look like in terms of depth? Is it just completely bereft of talent? Or is there some hidden gems in there? Yeah, that's the problem. I I went through so many linebackers in in a span of a couple weeks. And I I even put it on the the Twitter timeline that I was so frustrated. I was getting mad about what I was reading about these linebackers from some people that I didn't necessarily trust but i figured at least they'll spit out some names for me to watch and i go through these names and i and i go through prospect by prospect and i and i get to trey lamar from from clemson and i didn't like his tape i didn't think he was a modern nfl linebacker i think he's a strong side linebacker i think he's lorenzo uh, alexander what like the size and you're a thumper and you got to take him off on passing downs i don't take that in the first round people are talking about trey lamar in the first round that's insane (laughs) to me you're a one-down player. Teams pass more on second down than they do run the ball, and that's been that way for six or seven years running now. So they're one-down players. You're telling me a one-down player, Sam Leibacher, just because he can take on a block and stack and shed, which no one does anymore to, to a high degree, that he's a, a first-round linebacker. That's insane to me. Um, so way down my board. But you're not even talking about guys like last year. I was a big fan of Fred Warner out of BYU. And it was someone that was kind of a sleeper guy and whatnot. But I like the mental processing. I love the athletic profile. They used him as an overhang a lot. So he would uh, every now and then cover some slack eyes or carry him you know, down the zones deep and, and things of that nature. There is no one like that. I mean, you've got some safety converts that are space cadets that can cover – but they can't, they can't process anything that, that's happening in front of them because they're so new to the position. And, I mean, the Eagles like drafting with guys like that. I mentioned Kermu Grugier-Hill before. I think he's a starter this year. And you can develop those guys. He's a converted safety, and he's a smart guy. But then on the other end of the spectrum, if you keep going to the well on that, we also have Nate Gary, who is a converted safety, who's on a, a, just a dumb-dumb out there. He just doesn't get it. He can't process anything, it's, and it's bad. And he's supposed to be, a, a, he's supposed to be able to cover because he's a safety. Well, he couldn't cover as a safety. Who do safeties cover? <laughs> <laughs> they cover tight ends, and they, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, that doesn't always work out Just like because that. you have so the athletic the, profile the that says you can do a job doesn't mean you can do it well. 
I mean, that's right. Exactly. You were labeled as Matt, this. You failed. But that's Matt Milano. <laughs> Matt Milano's a guy who was right. a former safety who dropped down to play linebacker, and he's performed really well despite all of my criticism. <laughs> I mean, right. my yeah, ego was a little bruised when I was like, oh, this is a garbage draft pick. It's a throwaway. We'll never see. I liked, I liked Tanner Vallejo, the guy we drafted yeah. a, a round later, more than I liked him. And Tanner Vallejo, I mean, I don't even know where he is now. <laughs> <laughs> and I liked Vallejo coming out. I thought he was a potential guy that could be a, that could be a, at least be a nickel linebacker. But, I mean, if you're looking for guys like that, there, there are some in the class that you could take a chance on as far as depth goes. There's David Long out of West Virginia, another space cadet, has real bad problems tackling. But if you think you can fix his form, then there's some stuff there. Uh, there's uh, Terrell Hanks from New Mexico State, another converted safety, who can run and chase. And he's a, he's really aggressive as a tackle, but he's kind of over-aggressive to the point where he's very lungy and he's kind of undersized. And you're kind of worried about that. <laughs> Decent coverage, though. But if we're looking at a guy that like I think could be like a three-down guy, Maybe, uh, I mean, the most attractive piece in that mid-round range, God, not even that, like maybe like round fours to five, you're looking at like a Ben Burkirvan from from Washington who's an undersized dude still, so you might have to take him out on like heavy packages and whatnot, but I mean, he can cover and he's got good instincts. He's going to get washed out in the run a lot. It depends how much you care about run defense. I personally think the defensive line should take care of that and make life easy on the linebackers. Maybe that's my Philadelphia mindset happening there because we invest all our money in the, in the defensive line. But, I mean, just I, I, I'm telling you, I went through so many linebackers looking for a guy that I would have a crush on that I would just move up. Because you see it on the timeline all the time. And you did I just watched Blake Cassidy. He's a top 30 player for me. And <laughs> out of nowhere, like, okay, cool. Everyone wants to be first on a player. I don't care about that. I just I want to be correct about a player. I don't care if I'm first on a player. And I think that's where I had the most issue was I kept going through players. and just like, oh, this tape sucks. This tape sucks. This tape sucks. And, again, I know I'm being negative, but no, it's, but it's just this is, I mean, I went through – No, but this is what it's about. Because it didn't have a, a two, day two grade on. They were supposed to be like the consensus top ten. Listen, I mean, if you want to get down to the nitty-gritty of it, I'm, pick, I'm talking about guys like Jeremy Cash, okay? Listen, there were people here in Buffalo. <laughs> for those – yeah, for those of you who are still out there who listened to our previous draft podcasts, you might have remembered us talking about linebacker Jeremy Cash. He's one of these hybrid safety linebackers who's 230 right. pounds, and he's well, he's not exactly a D lineman. He's not exactly fluid enough to cover anybody, but he's going to be a good linebacker. He was all the rage. Draft prognosticators had him as high. I mean, I'm telling you, people here in Buffalo had him as high as the second or third round as a small satellite running back. Jesus Christ, I keep saying running back. Chris, <laughs> take, take one of these beers off the table. I don't need it. <laughs> but you know what upset me too, just if I can cut you off while you get your bearings with your beer there. The thing that upset me the most was a guy, another guy getting first round hype. So there's two guys getting first round hype that I could see going in the first round and I wouldn't blink even though I have like I have high second round grades on him. It's fine. But Trey Lamar, I'm not taking until day three. I don't care. He's a one-down linebacker. Mac Wilson from Alabama is being seen as a first as a first-round linebacker yeah, by some. Supposed to be really good. And typically, I like Alabama linebackers. Alabama linebackers got to be really smart to work in that system to be trusted by Saban to do the things they need to do. Now they uh, they'll take heat because the defensive line takes care of a lot of things for them. Yes, and sir. <laughs> it's hard to make a projection that way. It's, I, and I understand that, but I still like my Alabama linebackers if they pop on film. 
like Ruben Foster did. I liked Rashawn Evans coming out last year. I don't have a problem with all of them. Mac Wilson couldn't process anything worth a darn and didn't show any progression from the mental side of it throughout the entire season and the entire time that I watched Alabama's defense. Everyone else popped but him. Literally everyone else because they're, everyone on that defense is getting drafted somewhere if they're a starter. We know that. But when the linebacker next to you is just making play after play, his name is Dylan Moses. Look out for him next year. Maybe that'll be your guy next year if you don't get one this year if the oh, Bills feel the same way. I absolutely know. <laughs> I, listen, I'm an Alabama fan. I watch every game. Yeah. I, yeah. I know who they are. It's just painful for me to watch. To hear you eviscerate them from a, from a talent standpoint, because I watch them yeah. make plays, but I know for a fact that it doesn't translate to the NFL because I was also a huge Reggie Ragland fan. I almost bought his jersey when he got drafted by us. I almost threw a, I, I almost threw a one-man riot when we drafted Reggie Ragland. A few years later, he's can not I even you, here anymore. Can I tell you what my thoughts on Reggie Ragland were when he came out? Please, please give me those. Why is anyone looking at this guy? As a first-round prospect, as a three-down linebacker, he cannot cover. He is a one-down linebacker. I had serious concerns about Raglan, man. Really bad concerns. And then Mac Wilson comes out in his pro day today, runs a four-seven-two. I think it was. Guy can't run. Guy can't run. Guy can't cover. What do you want me to do with him? It's, it's 2019. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's fair. And so I guess that's I guess that's what I'm trying to get to is what is the makeup of this class? Because it sounds like there's a lot of guys who really don't. Fit, they don't fit a starter's role in the NFL. But one right. of the positions... There are very, very few three-down linebackers. So one of the positions that we're the most needy at is the other half of this class, and that's the outside linebacker class. As we talked about in our open to the show, Josh Allen, first and foremost, I don't, I don't understand. He's gotten comps to Khalil Mack. Are those warranted or no? Because, I mean, I watch SEC football. That's the thing. I, I Most of my observations when it comes to linebackers and when it comes to football in general, I watch a lot of SEC. I watch a lot of ACC because it's what's on. And I watch some Pac-12 because it's on late at night after our <laughs> those teams get done playing. I don't see a lot of what else goes on unless it's Ohio State and whoever they're playing because I'm rooting against Ohio State. So for Josh Allen, I've only watched (laughs) one of his games this season. These comps to Khalil Mack that keep being made, where they say he can cover, he can drop in coverage, he can can do all these things. He can go sideline to sideline. He can also be your pass rusher. Is this unfounded? I, I think it is. I think Josh Allen is more linebacker than Khalil Mack, and I think Khalil Mack is more edge defender, pass rusher, than Josh Allen. At the same time, I think against the run, if you have to put him out there and they have to hold up an edge and all that stuff, I think both of them are going to be very, very good at that. Khalil may be a little bit more explosive, but we're also dealing with recency bias there. If we're thinking of what Khalil Mack was coming out of college, it might be a little bit different because we know what he is now. Uh, So it's hard to make that parallel there. But I was a gigantic, I mean, I think it was the Ohio State game with Khalil Mack. He, He just balled out on a national stage and I was a big fan of Matt you know he was an elite guy for me Josh Allen is my fourth rated prospect in this draft I think the the myriad of things that he can do masks the fact that he doesn't he doesn't have to be Khalil Mack like that just terror off the edge 
He's very good as a pass rusher. He's not Khalil Mack style good. Uh, he can win with his hands. I thought the development of his technique from 2017 to 2018 was absolutely fantastic because he was getting a ton of tight that a ton of hype that wasn't deserved. And then last year, I thought he lived up to that hype, which you rarely see. Development is not linear. These guys do not always get better from year to year. I mean, we see it all the time. These guys get first-round hype coming into the year, and then they just totally crap the bed, and people change their rankings and whatever. Josh Allen <laughs> Marshall Darius. that hype. <laughs> Marshall <Right>. Darius. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what? Uh, Josh Allen, to me, is not like Camille Mack. Mack. I would not make that comp. However, I do think he can get after the passer uh, pretty darn good. And I do think that he is capable of dropping and carrying guys better than uh, Khalil Mack can. Uh, I don't think you should ever drop Khalil Mack, maybe just a 5%, 10% of the time, just to keep the defense honest. I know the Bears like to do it every now and then with him and Leonard Floyd. They're athletic and they can do those types of things. And they got that great interior pass rush with Eddie Goldman and Akeem Hicks. But uh, uh, Josh Allen brings so much versatility to a defense with what he can do. And he's not a minus. Like when I think of Khalil Mack, Mack dropping, I think you're at a net negative because you have so much he brings as a pass rusher and so little that he brings in pass coverage. Josh Allen is is a it, I say flatline, which sounds like a bad term, but he's solid with both, and I think that's very valuable. So then I guess I have to ask the question. First of all, do you think there's any hope that he can fit a defense like ours? And also, if he's your fourth-rated prospect, but then you understand with how quarterbacks can fuck up a draft <laughs> and how some teams <laughs> yeah. can fuck up a draft. I mean, look at, what was it, Chicago traded with San Francisco to get Trubisky. Why? They didn't have to. That, that was yeah. totally unnecessary. They bit against themselves. <laughs> there is some shit that happens at the top of the draft that doesn't happen in any of the other, other rounds. What are the odds that, I mean, talk a little bit about his scheme versatility, but also... Is there any hope that he'd be there at nine? I mean, you got to hope. What you're, what you're hoping for in this scenario is that, at one, the Cardinals go with Kyler Murray. You want as many quarterbacks off the board that you can get. That's that's a good thing for you before you get to nine. Um, at two, you hope that the Niners don't take Josh Allen. You hope they either take uh, Nick Bosa or even better for you guys, you hope they take Quinton Williams because that leaves – Nick uh, Nick Bosa, Nick Joey Bosa, one of the Bosas, whatever the freaking names are. <laughs> that leaves <laughs> Bosa on the board. The one that didn't like Black Panther, which is weird. Uh, that leaves Bosa on the board ahead of Josh Allen if you're looking for an edge rusher. So if those two things happen, you're, you're starting to look good. You hope the Giants take the quarterback. Whether they trade up for Daniel Jones like idiots or they stay at six and take him there. Whatever they do, you hope they take a quarterback. And then you hope there's also some offensive tackles taken in there as well. That is the only shot that you have at Josh Allen going in, in at, at <laughs> nine. Nine was, I mean, it's possible, man. The NFL draft is decadent and depraved. Weird things happen. We don't know shit, basically, at the end of the day. Things can happen. Teams can trade up for different positions. The yes, offensive tackles can go. Jawan Taylor, Jonah Williams, Cody Ford, they're all worthy of top 10, 10 selections. If you get a couple quarterbacks that go in front of you, you've got both. You've got Williams. Maybe someone makes a stupid reach for Devin White, and then you get you know a greedy Williams in there. You might be in a position to get Josh Allen. I, I won't rule it out. What's his, well, what's his fit in a 4-3? I mean, you are probably playing at Sam, and you probably want to mix things up in your nickel package. It would take a re- – it's weird because that would take a creative defensive coordinator kind of like a, a, along the lines of it as they do a lot of different things 
at the line before the snap. They'll have a lot of guys standing. They'll move a lot of guys around so you don't know who's coming from where. It would take a very creative defensive coordinator like that on passing downs to be able to utilize him correctly. Uh, and then on running downs, I mean, you could you could switch him. I mean, you're going to play nickel most of the time anyway. If you want to put his hand in the dirt and drop him 50% of the time, that's fine. He's going to hold up against the edge and stop the run and do all that stuff. So I think you have to have a smart defensive coordinator, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. All right. Well, it's because when it comes to linebacker, he's the only one who jumps off the pages. Hey, I deserve to be here in the first round conversation. I'm the only one who deserves. (laughs) Just picture a man on an island waving a flag. Hey, save me. Save me from this. So then (laughs) the next question I have for you when it comes to these outside linebacker type players, Chase Winovich, what's the deal? I mean, you look at his collegiate per, his collegiate production was huge. The guy flashed, you know, and a lot of times he comes off like your high motor white guy. <laughs> you have those. What is he? Where does he fit? And where does he go in this year's draft? Do you think? So it's interesting with Winovich. Number one. I do think he's just an edge. I think he's just a defensive end. I would not take him off the ball um, because I think he's a really good pass rusher. And just a, a, a quick note on that. Every time I watched Rashawn Gary trying to figure him out, and I watched five games on Gary back in the summer going into the season to get my pre, preseason evaluation, see where I was on him. And I was like, I mean, he makes sense in the second round, but he's got to develop. We know he's going to test like a freak. He's probably going to go higher than that, but I don't see it yet. And I go to the 2018 tape, and I go to watch Rashawn Gary – and I'm watching him against Wisconsin. Like he's not doing anything. Like he's not developing. And then I look at my, uh, I look on the other side, and Winovich is just whipping the crap out of David Edwards, the offensive tackle for Wisconsin, <laughs> who might be a second round pick this year. I mean, he's tugging him, he's pulling him, he's snatching him, he's trapping him. He's, he's doing all this crazy nonsense with his hands. And then he's also bending the corner too. And it was that same thing. I would go to watch Gary. I would end up watching Winovich, and he's got what I call hustle hair. Because he's got those long flowing locks, and they're always going a mile a minute, man. They're flying everywhere. And Clay he's got Matthews sneaky syndrome. Ben because he's white. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he also tested really well for Ben, too. And he does well with his feet to at the top of his rush, foot pointed at the quarterback. And that way, it makes it easier for him. It hides some of that stiffness. So he masks some of those athletic limitations, if there are some, with his technique. I think he's really good, man. I think he goes round two. Like, he's severely slept on and I know some people that 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 are defensive end minds that I trust more so than myself when it comes to pass rushing and things of that nature that are really really high on him which makes me confident that NFL teams are going to be high on him as well and take him in the second so now when we talk about the bills specifically just Q&A on where we stand who are some of the specific linebackers in this draft that you think might thrive in the system that the bills linebackers most commonly operate under I mean, you're talking about 4-3, four-down linemen. That's our base. The Sam, he's occasionally deployed at the line of scrimmage as a rusher, you know, when you go into an underset. But otherwise, we play a lot of base or a lot of nickel. That's it. I mean, the the 4-3 under is, I don't want to say it's rare because it does happen, but not nearly as much as base or nickel packages. So those interior linebackers, they need to be able to cover. And they have to be able to blitz the A-gap. And the Sam linebacker, when he's on the field, has to be able to cover the running back. He has to be able to get the tight end. 
and make containment against the run to the sideline, which Lorenzo showed last year he's losing his ability to do so. I mean, no. are, is there anybody that you have pegged who might fit that kind of a scheme? As far as the Sam goes, man, you might be looking at Tavon Coney from Notre Dame. He is jacked, slapped together, strong as an ox, has no clue what he's doing with his hands to, to <laughs> deconstruct blocks and whatnot, but he's at least like a bigger guy that you can kind of work with in that area, I think, and, and decent enough in coverage. Not the greatest mover, but can kind of get it done if you're, if you're looking for a base Sam. Like, I feel like there's something there with him that hasn't been quite unleashed yet at, at, from a block deconstruction standpoint from a take-on guy. So that might be kind of your Sam guy. If you're looking to just have fast-to-flow linebackers and you want to have Leighton Vanderesh and, and and Jalen Smith out there, you might want to uh, double down on some athletic profiles and you might want to go with Blake Cashman from Minnesota who tested through the freaking roof. Now I have some concerns with him. I know some people are really high on him and, and I respect their opinions and all, but from a take-on perspective, he's, he's not the best, but he can beat you with quickness, which is a lot more in vogue nowadays, I guess. So one thing that we ask everybody we have to do this show, potential busts, I mean, every year there's an Obi Melifonwu, <laughs> a player yeah. who stands out and flashes against subpar and average competition and ends up getting overdrafted. Who's this year's, if you could name two or three of them, who fits that mold in your opinion? I really like Devin White. I really want to like Devin White. I, th I think he's got serious bust potential from where he's going to get drafted. Again, I like him. I mean, I, I have him on my top 30. You don't hate so him. I like the player. But you think he's going to get overdrafted? But compared to where his value is, compared to what people are going to expect from him where he's drafted, I, I think that's where I kind of run into the problem, and I think there's a bust potential there. Mac Wilson, if he goes anywhere in the early second round, uh, definite bust in my opinion. Teams are going to be moving on him within three years. They're not going to pick up his fifth-year option at the very least. I, and then, I mean, really, else, who else is get, getting hyped? If it's, if it's Trey Lamar, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. If, if it's Trey Lamar from Clemson in the first two days, and he's getting first-round hype, has oh. gotten first-round hype, if it's anywhere in the first two days, total bust. Total bust. Absolutely. Wow. Jesus. Game has passed him by, game passed him by five years ago. I don't know what we're doing out here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, then, shit, I'm scared to ask you about our next segment. Players I like. Okay. Now mm. I, I have, as our as our listeners well know, I don't know shit about the draft. I am the man who proclaimed that Ryan Mallett would change the face of quarterbacking, and the fact that the Patriots drafted him meant that the division would be theirs for another decade. Can I? Can I? At least, it still would be. I just didn't know that it wouldn't be because of Ryan Mallett. Can I at least back yeah. you on this position group? You did say Deron Lee was crap. I said Deron Lee was going to be Keith Ellison 2.0. Bills fans know who like that it. is. And he's a tiny linebacker who doesn't do anything well. And <laughs> he he's fulfilled that. So when we go on to players I like, there's a couple prospects I want to pick your brain about just to see what you think about them. Make sure that I'm not being overly optimistic. It seems like based on the way we, this whole thing is gone, I'm going to be. Joe Giles Harris, inside linebacker out of Duke. Okay. What I like about him, he hasn't been one of the most highly touted prospects. Okay, But from what I saw of him, he's got some chops. I mean, he gets lost if you ask him to play deep zone cover. But 
I don't know. He seems to have athleticism and speed to go sideline to sideline. And at the same time, you'd think that makes him a middle linebacker, but his instincts are a little raw. He hits with authority. He tackles well. I, I just, what do you think about this this guy? You know, I need to see more of him, but I think that is a guy that in day two could get some run, and I'm comfortable with it. I think he's just good enough in every area of the game that I, I am not down on him as hard uh, as hard as I've been on everyone else. I think he's a guy that is actually going to get drafted at a value that I like. So I'm cool with him. I'm cool with him late second, early third, like that that type of area. I think I think he could be solid. See, that's perfect because when I watched him play, I'm like, holy shit, this guy's everywhere. He's just he's running to the sideline. He's dragging guys down near the line of scrimmage. He's around. You know what I mean? Like, he's just around the field of play. Wherever the ball is, he's near it or he's making the tackle. That's what I want to see out of a linebacker. Even if it's just in a backup or if you're drafting him to groom for a role somewhere in your linebacking core. Another candidate that I want to talk to you about who's pretty controversial is Voshan Joseph. Outside linebacker from Florida. Now, what I like about him is that he seems like your prototypical weak side linebacker. They're kind of in the mold. Chris, picture somebody in the mold of Matt Milano, except not nearly as smart. He's super athletic. Looks solid whenever you ask him to play a zone coverage because he reads crossing patterns and he just, it just seems like he picks up movement very well and he's so athletic that even if he doesn't recognize it right away, he can react to it quickly. And he led Florida in tackles which when you play in the division we do where everybody runs the ball, I mean, that's that's something. So yeah. what do you think about this guy? I like him. I mean, I, I think you have to keep him as, in a 4-3, you have to keep him at the weak side linebacker position. I don't think he's a, like, I don't think he's a Sam, but I like his ability to track plays from sideline to sideline. I think he's got a decent range. Like you said, I, I agree with your thoughts on him in coverage. I really like his lateral mobility like overall both in coverage and against the run so i'm there with you there Um, i have a problem with his physicality i think his uh, play strength isn't up to par even at will i I think he's going to get washed a little bit a little bit uh but overall if you have a plan for him and you can develop him and give him a couple off seasons in a a strength program and and all that stuff um then i think he could be a guy that can make a, a decent contribution for you i don't know if you expect a three down starter two years from now but I think he's solid. So do you expect this guy to go somewhere in the mid-rounds? Because everything I've seen says he's like a second to third round pick, but it doesn't sound like you believe he actually belongs there. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy i probably take early day three, fourth round. I, I think that's the spot that I like for him. But if you took him in the third round, I mean, really, when, when you get to the third round, if there's no one super high on your board, you start to get to that mid-range. It's a lot about preference and 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 what you like and what you want to develop. I wouldn't argue against it. I mean, it's not like taking uh, a third-round guy in the first round. It's, it's not that big of a disparity. <laughs> cool. So I, I think I'm okay with third round with him, given what he can give you in coverage, which brings value. He's no Trey Lamar. Right, correct. The game is not passed by. (laughs) So then Cameron Smith. Now, this is a guy, again, nobody has heard of most of these people. Inside linebacker out of USC. I think he has solid production in a conference that's known for having a lot of spread offenses that are kind of complicated. 
He seems to make a lot of plays at or behind the line of scrimmage. He's aggressive when he comes downhill, but that's also a problem. <laughs> he can be over-aggressive. He overruns a lot of plays. He bites on a lot of play action. I just look at, if I'm looking for a value linebacker who can be quick-twitch aggressive for my special teams unit or maybe come in as a backup interior linebacker, he seems like an unfinished product that maybe just needs some fine-tuning. What are your thoughts on him? Say the name again. I'm sorry. I, I, I missed the first part. Cameron Smith. I got the description. Cameron Smith. Oh, Cameron Smith. Yeah, he, he can absolutely move at, at USC. I like, his, I like his lateral mobility, kind of like I like, I like Bozine Joseph. I see both of them kind of similar. So a guy that can give you enough in coverage, a guy that I like in the, in the mid-rounds, uh, but then also dealing with, with – I, I, I just don't think he's physical enough to be a, a, a three-down guy. Uh, but yeah, o- overall, if you give him to me on passing downs, I, ha- I have no problem with the value that you're going to get from him if you take him in day three. Uh, he's, he's below Vosin uh, Joseph for me, uh, but I still like him. And then Christian Miller. Okay, now this last yeah. guy, he's not a household name, but I am an Alabama fan, folks. I have watched a lot of their games. Because of their recruiting and his own injury, I mean, I'll, I'll give that injuries. Uh, Alabama, for those of you who aren't familiar, the way they operate their linebacking core, Nick Saban knows what makes that team run. It's the defensive line, athletic, fast linebackers behind him, or a couple thumpers behind him. Every year it changes. It morphs based on what his opponents do. He is incredible at changing this defense to be what it needs to be to continue contending in the SEC. So Christian Miller's a guy who... He got injured, and he—I mean—he was a five-star recruit coming out of high school, and yet didn't get any significant traction within the program. He was stuck behind guys. He didn't get a ton of starters reps at the NCAA level. But watching him play, I see a lot of similar upside to what Lorenzo Alexander brings at the outside linebacker position. And I'm not going to lie; there's not a lot of people I like in this draft as much as I like him. And the reason he's so low on a lot of draft boards, when you look at him, is that people just don't know who the fuck he is. What do you think about him? Oh, I think he's a round two guy all day. I mean, I'm concerned about the the soft muscle injuries and and all that stuff. That's definitely a concern for me. And I know he didn't run at the pro day yesterday or the day before, whatever it was. I think it was yesterday. Uh, But he's going to have to run on April 2nd. But I saw him doing some drills and whatnot, so it looks like he's moving around. He wants to get trained for the 40 and run his best time. I get that. Uh, I don't think he's – I'm not playing him at linebacker because he's so good as an edge rusher. I mean, there are, t- there are two players uh, uh, I'll compare it. Christian Miller, Montez Sweat. Who's a better run defender? It's Montez Sweat. Who's a better pass rusher? It's Christian Miller. So that kind of upside as a pass rusher, I'm keeping him as a defensive end. I'm rushing him all the time. I'm I'm not wasting my time time to drop him back and teach him new reads and all this stuff. I'm letting him get after the quarterback, and I'm and a team's going to draft him round two with his profile as long as he tests what any kind any any kind of times close to what he has shown on film, he's going to go high. Well, and that's he's not Chris, a good football Chris, I'm glad I'm glad you're saying this because Chris, you're looking at my notes right now. This is what I've seen. The, yeah, this looks like war and peace. 
<laughs> you have like five paragraphs on this guy. Well, I watch a lot of Alabama football. I understand who Christian Miller is. The guy, he never really got used on rundowns. That's the one thing he has going against him. So there's not a lot of film out there about him taking on blocks, shedding blocks. Like you said, stacking and shedding, which almost no one does anymore. But instead, what I've gotten to watch is a lot of him going out there and showing that violent hands. I mean, it's That yeah. guy can hand fight anybody, which... No, he was getting after. He was getting after it against Oklahoma. Oklahoma's got the best line in the nation. They're sending four players to the NFL right now, and that center's going to go to the NFL too. I mean, he he balled against them. Christian Miller dominated offensive linemen, which is hand fighting. You can't get in on him because in a phone booth, he'll fist fight you to the death. It's incredible. And then when you watch him move in space, that's the thing I think I like most about Christian Miller's game. When he's anticipating a play, whether it's the run, the pass, when he's watching it break down, he moves in a short area. He can move very quickly, and when he gets there, he arrives with intent. And that's what I haven't seen out of some of the other guys that have tried to watch throughout this process is just bad intent. (laughs) When you get there, you get there to fuck shit up. You're not here to make friends. You're not here to play patty cake. You're here to hurt somebody. And that's how he plays when you watch it from down to down to down. And I like that. And I also like the fact that you can drop him into some shallow zones. You can't play him deep. I mean, can we agree on that? He's not a zone. Right. You, you couldn't line him up as a Sam linebacker and ask him to, from a two, I guess I want to say it. There's a three-point stance, Chris, and a two-point stance. Two-point stance is where you're standing, hands on almost knees, hands in front of you, waiting for the ball to be snapped. From a two-point stance, I don't expect him to be able to do well in coverage. Do you? No. No, I mean, I mean, he probably could. Why would I? <laughs> why, why would I? So with that said, I just look at what he's done. I mean, he's made plays in space, in space against quarterbacks like uh, Texas A&M's uh, Nick Mond and, oh, yeah. no, no, wait, wait, what's his name? Not Nick. Nick. You Nick, Fitz, about Nick Fitzgerald and uh, oh, Fitzgerald. Why did I call him Tyler? Is it about Ta- Taylor or Tyler Mond? Tyler Mond from Texas A&M. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. Those two quarterbacks. I mean, that used to give Alabama fit was running quarterbacks. Christian Miller was a big part of the fact that they didn't destroy our defense when we played them. So, with that said, I mean, you're you're <laughs> you're telling me that you're actually high on this one guy. Out of all of the prospects that I brought up that you've just decimated. He's an edge guy, though, man. I ain't calling him a linebacker. I'm going after the quarterback. <laughs> I appreciate that. about off-ball guys. I can appreciate you. I can appreciate you noticing the difference in that. Yeah, yeah. So with that, I mean, when we come down to it, if you're talking about players that the Buffalo Bills might be able to draft, how many do you think, if you were just going to put a number on it in the middle rounds of this draft, is the potential there for us to find one strong side linebacker somewhere in rounds three through five that makes an impact? Or is this class so bereft of talent that there's no hope for it? I don't think you're going to find a three-down linebacker at Sam, Will, or Mike in, in day three. That's a big-time projection that might not flesh out. I mean, if you're looking for someone, let, let's put some rules on it. Can we say the first two years? Sure. 
first two years, I don't think you find anyone at day three that's going to be that's going to be a starter. There's always like one, but I mean, for the for the for one team to land on that one guy for the specific bet, I don't think it's happening. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> so you're telling me of of any position group that you can draft the linebacker position is that the worst in the 2019 draft? I have hated watching this linebacker tape more than any other. Probably more than the running back position, but the running back position, you're, it's so easy to get production from that position that you can be decent and, and whatnot. Um, I, I've hated this linebacker class more than any other position, I think, <laughs> in my life. It's 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 bad. Once, once you get past Devin White and Devin Bush and their hype is already exceeding what I think they are, it's, it's, there's not a whole lot, man. You're, you're grabbing for straws. Jesus. What? Grim Reaper. Grim Reaper kissed over here. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right, sir. Well, thank you for helping us just parse our way through this. So that we're parse par- our way through garbage, apparently. <laughs> through, <laughs> apparently, if we're looking to draft a linebacker, we are painting for gold in a landfill. But with that said, thank you so much for joining us tonight and helping us walk through that because it's good to know heading into the draft. Because it's something that I feel like we and our listeners need to be educated on. Now, where can we find your work on Twitter and where can we find your work over at Bleeding Green Nation? Yeah, bleedinggreennation.com, at BGN underscore radio. If you put in Bleeding Green Nation into any podcast app that you're using, you can get all of our shows on there. I'm the host of the Kiss and Solak show. I do a show with the great Mark Schofield, who's awesome at quarterbacks. I do the QB Sco show with him. We have BG, you know, BGN radio main shows and all that stuff. Uh, and then at Michael Kist NFL, that's K-I-S-T. Well, can't take risks today, so you might want to avoid me for the next 24 hours. But eventually, you might want to give me a follower, uh, a follow. I do abuse my followers just to prove that they're real ones. So just get you, you'll figure it out. It's fine. At Michael Kist NFL on Twitter, boatloader knowledge on linebackers. Michael Kist is to linebacker knowledge what Drew Gear is to eating green peppers and what I am to hair maintenance. Jesus Christ. You Brought suck. to knowledge. You suck. Your hair is terrible. Folks, thank you so much for showing up tonight. We appreciate your support as always. Make sure you're coming out to Potathon 2019. It's going to be a great time with a lot of personalities out. It's going to be an opportunity for you to get to meet a lot of the people you see on Twitter and that you listen to their podcasts. It's going to be a great time. Make sure you come on out. Have a, have a drink with the old boys, Drew Gear and Chris Krueger. Come on now. Where else would you rather be than right there, right then? Nah? Am I saying that right? <laughs> I don't know if that makes it. I don't know if it makes any sense, but we got to get the fuck out of here. Guys, we got to go. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Thank you to Michael Kist. And this has been the Rock Power.